0: Thank you, Lord, for this, um, for this day, for this church, um, the day that you have made, for your word, living and active as ever. Lord, I pray that it would be the word that comes to us, that interprets us, and that we would be uh, gracious recipients in the receptive position of your life in us. Um, place another way, Lord, take our lives and hide them in your Son, in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I like the light, this is kind of good. Good to see everyone again, kind of this soiree through Romans, almost backwards, um, middle of three weeks that I hope to do uh, on this letter, which is clearly my favorite book of the Bible. Um, I mean, people that uh, uh, know me know that, it's just, it's where my heart beats in a lot of ways. And, um... Uh, and probably just about every way and so kind of working in a different way backwards last week I'm going to reframe it a little bit uh, Looking at faith which cometh by hearing and that being through the hearing of the word of Christ which Paul that's from Romans 10 Which Paul had earlier described as the gospel a very particular gospel that the gift the gift which is not like the trespass and so it gets very particular um, with a gift and the gospel is always known um, expressly as Jesus. Grace and gift, now I'm just kind of going on. Um, Don't wanna go here. Grace and gift, as you read Romans, it's the same word. We've made some decisions about when to call it grace and when to call it gift in our translations, but charis is the word. Um, It's where we get the word eucharist, eucharis. Um, So a good gift. Um, or a, a gratitude is really what eucharisto, which is also a Greek word where we get the word eucharist. Um, that's what that means. All that gets intertwined. Grace, gift, and gratitude. Those are all from the same word group. Um, it's good to remember that. Um, because then we see that from the working of faith, which cometh by hearing, and as faith expresses itself as love. Um, in other words, of describing works, people will ask, How come uh, Paul, wanting to set him apart from James in some ways, doesn't emphasize works? Uh, And then through the tradition, especially in the Reformation, people would say, well, the Reformed word, which the Advent really holds on to, seems to downplay works. And there was a correction later, Um, some would say, and we need to hold on to that a little bit more. Um, About, um, And we looked last week where faith which cometh by hearing is in fact the way to have more love in the world. And I got stuck on a bunch of 80s songs and I couldn't get off (laughs) if you were here. uh, Where how many songs, also the Beatles, um, all you need is love. We just kept talking about love which is all you need. And they were right, that's true. But then just telling people to go out and love more. You know, if we had a bumper sticker that said, Be loving, and we put an Advent shield on top of it and sent you all out into the world, it wouldn't do a thing. In fact, Paul would even say it would increase the trespass because a law unto itself, it was just a word to go out and do this, uh, then the person behind you um, is going to run up on you just a little bit more. (laughs) You know, something that I do a little bit, uh, maybe will remind me of that sometimes, kind of push people ahead a little bit. Um, And then you have your admin. Anyway, I'm just going off now. But the law increases the trespass, even the law of love. So then, what's the way? Just preach the gospel. This way of God's express gift in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Um, That is the gift. Grace and gift only come in Jesus Christ, um, the person and his life and his death. uh, That is then the experience of belovedness, which is another way to describe faith. And so faith or belovedness, the reality of being loved, the reality of being loved while I am yet sinning, this is all review, uh, that then begins to have feet and hands and the word gets placed in your mouth and in your heart, Paul says in Romans 10. And so then you start speaking and you start loving and you start doing and you start being something that you weren't before and so that's Paul Paul would say no um, if we need more love in the world what we need is more faith and so George Michael was right you got to have faith faith faith. but even that is not a law because faith is in the reception of God God doing himself to us and that's something we're gonna look at today where faith. The experience of being loved, even through all my self-defense, even through all my different ways that I want to um, retain some power, some part of it, um, Paul will want to say, by no means. And so let me set it up a little bit. Here's one way he says it, if you have a Bible. Um, They're all over here. I'll to pass those out. Um, Some people may want these. Taylor, would you mind being the captain of those? Um, a lot of people have them on their phones or their iPads. Uh, the end of four and the beginning of Romans five. It says this: um, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's Romans 4:25. That's one of the ways when somebody says, "What is the gospel?" Romans 4:25 is one of the best ways that I like to work with it. Um, the gospel is Jesus Christ being delivered over for our sins and raised for our justification. And now Paul says this, Therefore, because of that truth, because Christ has been delivered over and raised, uh, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we have been justified by being loved, it's one thing I want, you know, we can do that. Every time we hear the word faith, uh, we can substitute in our minds being loved, being loved by God, because now this part of Romans 5 is going to take a different tone. Therefore, since we have been justified by being loved by God, we have peace with God uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll stop. Um, Through Him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And now this, uh, this train from 6 to 10. Listen to the ways that Paul describes us and the condition in which we are, not just were, are and even a part of us will be while we are being loved, while we are being faithed, if you want to put that as a verb. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Another way of saying while we were weak at that time where God says then, not when Gil's got it together, but exactly when he's at his worst. At that time, that's the right time for God's love. We're see that um, we going to see that at the end of Romans 11 today. At that time, Christ died for the ungodly. At that time, Christ died for me. When I am at my bottom, when I am at my worst, when I am at my least fruitful, <laughs> at least in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, when the fruit of my flesh is most present, uh... That's what qualifies me for God's mercy. The qualification for God's mercy is unrighteousness. The qualification, what qualifies me to be the recipient of God's grace, of God's love. As he said in Romans 3, uh, as my throat is an open grave, that I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is nothing in me that's righteous, no, not a thing. That's what qualifies me to be the one who hears the word of God. Remember the word of Christ, which comes and says, you are my brother, where God my father says, you are my son. You, who once were not a people, now you are a people. You, who once were not loved, now, the very bottom of the barrel, I love you. That's what he has in mind when he says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, at that time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Remember my contrast of unrighteousness and righteousness, what qualifies us to be the recipients of God's righteousness? Unrighteousness, my unrighteousness. For a, One will scarcely, give gives us a little rhetoric. Um, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. That's kind of a Greek reference. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, there's the second one, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we, be saved, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, the third way, we were reconciled. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ whom we have now received reconciliation so that's all sort of what we talked about last week that faith cometh by hearing and faith being love being being loved belovedness is the noun uh, and that as as galatians we had to borrow something from galatians which says faith expresses itself or works itself out in love in other words belovedness works itself out as love we love because we are first loved by him And when are we loved by Him? At precisely the right time. In God's counterintuitive sense of timing. What's the right time? When I'm exactly wrong. When I'm exactly uh, stuck in my flesh. When I'm exactly needy. When I'm exactly unrighteous. There's the location of God's work in me. That's the meeting point. That's it. So that was last week, and we used a lot of 80s songs. I'm looking at people and I'm like, geez, you know, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me raise this up just a little bit. Any, any thoughts, questions? So this week, what I hope to start with is um, predestination. That's where we're going. Isn't that fun? <laughs> now, what, is that, what comes up when I even say the word? Not a rhetorical question. I'd love some feedback here. Division. Division. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Periphery. Helpful. What's that? Periphery. Periphery. The peripheries. Clear. <laughs> periphery, where it's something on the side. That's like Christianity three twelve or something like that. It's on the side, it's not central. Is that right? Yeah. It's good. What else? Fear. What's that? Fear. Fear. Good. So periphery, not central. Fear, division. Chosen. Chosen. Blessing. So we've got some, now we've got some contrast going on here. Yeah, God's in charge. God's in charge. So now we've got some contrast. When Paul uses it, because it's right central in in uh, in, in Romans, we're going to look at the second half of Romans 8, what some people call the Himalayas. Um, James Montgomery Boy said it's the, uh, the center of the whole Bible. Um... Uh, the second half of Romans 8 and then to Romans 9, 10, and 11. And we're going to place it where as the 39 articles, as our articles, um, as the, the, the Anglican Church started in the English Reformation, our confession uh, was the 39 articles. And Article 17 would call predestination and election uh, the doctrine of sweet comfort. Um, that in fact, it's a pastoral word of grace. Um, that it's uh, the antithesis of fear and division, because it's been abused absolutely, uh, used wrongly and injuriously to make people doubt the security of God's love for them at precisely the right time. And what's the right time? When I'm completely wrong, which makes me think, oh my gosh, I must not be one of the elect. I must be outside, and that's how it sometimes felt, isn't it? I mean, that's how I feel it, and I even know this stuff, quote-unquote, no. Um, The human heart is deceitful above all things, and that's what Paul wants to do, is massively come in here in the midst of all sorts of weakness and groans and confusion and fear and doubt uh, when you're being reckoned uh, to your enemies. both within your own mind, uh, within your own heart, but also the enemies that stand at the gate, to borrow a phrase from Psalms, which was once an HBO movie, and I can't remember what it was about, but anyway. Um, So all that's to say, uh, how do we make sense of all that um, when we are going forth with this longing uh, that he's going to be talking about in Romans 8, as we're... I guess I have to say one more 80s. When we're looking for love in all the wrong places, um, when we, we capture in that old... That was Urban Cowboy, wasn't it? That was the first movie I saw in a theater. I <laughs> thought I'd tell you all that. Um, when you're looking for love in all the wrong places, uh, it says a lot to say that, you know, there I am, I'm longing for something. And I don't have a clue where to go. Wouldn't it be amazing if where we went was to be... And this is intentionally to the gracious doctrine of election where election, God's electing love is meant to provide us security, comfort hope and assurance that at precisely the right time Christ died for me and what's the timing of God? It's my opposite when I am at my worst God is most present Um, I would say God's at its best but that would be I don't want to say that. That implies something I don't want to imply. So all this is to say is word of comfort comes in this strange way. And this knowledge is too wonderful for me. That's from Psalm 139. Um, this electing love that's full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort. That's the phrase from the uh, from the articles. Um, what am I looking at? Here in Romans um a a, a famous um, J. Barker signs. I think still um, a lot of us know him now. um, Probably still know his autographs of Romans 8:28. Left on its own, it's not an unhelpful verse, but it's not it's not the whole. Um, What is Romans 8:28? A lot of us would know this, Uh, uh, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now that's good, but Paul realizes as soon as he says that, he can leave it, let it stand alone, but it needs something else. And he comes out with what's sometimes called a golden chain here. Um, and it's the uh, well, let me read it and I'll talk about it. Um, for again, 828 through 30. Um, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. Paul backs up and says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what's he doing? Um, God works together for the good. Even when we're at our worst, God calls that his best time, his right time. And he's working together for the good, all who love him. Who loves him? Those whom he loves. Belovedness creates love. So he's getting pretty tight here. You know, there's no place where our fingerprints are describing this activity. It's not me that controls my love for God. God controls his own love for himself. Isn't that a weird way to put it? I didn't know I was going to say that, but I think that's that's absolutely true. Um, God is loved by you, by you, by you, and by me only because... He loves us. That's the origin of the love train. Um, uh, Paul needs to explain that. And that's what he does in 28, I mean, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, what is foreknowledge? What does it mean to be foreknown? As the Psalms say, before the foundation of the world. Well, let me back. What is grace? Grace is uh, helped to be known by comparing it with mercy. The Lord, whose property is always to have mercy. And maybe next week we'll talk about mercy. What is mercy? When we have mercy on our children, they did something wrong. And if I'm merciful, what do I do? I don't punish them. So mercy is withholding just deserts, is withholding a just punishment. That's merciful. Judge, have mercy. Okay, I'll commute your sentence. You deserve life. I'll give you three years. That's an act of mercy grace is giving the opposite of what you deserve and so it's just massively offensive judge I pray that you have mercy on me no mercy grace you deserve life I'm giving you a car I'm giving you that's a silly example I'm giving you the you know Rod Rosenblatt's great example let me stay with the car dad I wrecked the car I was drunk and I wrecked the car are you okay? I'm okay. Um, I'm shaking. That's just shock, son. Don't worry about it. Um, I tell this story twice a year. Uh, I'm going to come get you and all your friends. And I come and I pick you up. And I take all your friends home. And I take you home. Uh, I don't let anybody else talk to you. You go upstairs. And an hour later, I come in there. You're the son. What are you ready for me, your father, to do? Rip into you. Just light you up. How could you do that? You know, smirching our name, you know better than that. You know, what, you've done this before, da, da, da. But I tell you, I'm going to take off tomorrow. I'm going to go buy you a new car. That's grace. It's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> it's absolutely moronic. makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and that's grace. Grace is not mechanical. You can't do that with your children. You can't do that with your spouse. Oh, so I see. So I've been trying to do this with my spouse. And if I wanted to change, what I need to be doing is doesn't work that way. That's called condition. That's called manipulation. That's called something besides grace, besides giving the opposite. Foreknowledge is giving the opposite of anything that's deserved. This is all going to be under that rubric of grace. God's choosing me completely, not just irrespective of anything that I do and not do, in full knowledge of what I will do as his enemy, as the one who is weak, and who is ungodly, like it says in Romans 5, as the one that Mel Gibson put out in The Passion of the Christ, who's holding the nail as it's being nailed into his wrist. That's what he means when he says, I'm his enemy. I killed Christ. You killed Christ. Who put Christ on the cross? You did. I did. We did. That's the idea. And this is the chain, this pastoral, comfortable word of assurance that for those he foreknew, that he knew before the foundation of the world, he also predestined. So choosing before time, choosing me outside of time, as God is the Lord of time, the Chronos. tick, 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 tick. There's also that other idea called Kairos, which is the name for the prison ministry that some of us are involved in. It means God's, um, when you hear the phrase, in the fullness of time, uh, God... Um, Uh, Was born to a woman under the law, like he says in Romans as kairos, in the fullness of time, in the perfection of time, in God's special time, in the time outside of time, as C.S. Lewis called it. That's what he's talking about. This choice of me that was predestined. My end was chosen before time. Foreknowledge leads to predestination. What's the point of it? To be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers that we would all share in his glory uh, uh, as Christ is my brother. And we're going to be conformed to that. So when the day of glory comes, whether I die or Christ comes back, that's our predestination. So that happens outside of time. And then very powerfully he then says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Where does calling take place? Calling takes place here in the middle of time, in the middle of chronos, in the middle of our chronology from birth until death. God's gracious act of foreknowledge and predestination finds hands and feet. The great interruption in my life where he says, now in time, where predestination happens outside of time, now in time, he comes in and he calls. He woos. He says, Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden. Let me give you rest. Let me take you and hide yourself, hide you in me, in my Son, so that when I call my Son beloved, that word is for you. That's grace. Foreknowledge, predestination, leading into this world, this time, calling Which then he would say is justification. For we now have peace with God. That's what he says in Romans 5. That's a big deal. Remember I tied it to our liturgy last time? Where we come out and we say, Okay, so hear the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's not good news. (laughs) That's not good news. Because I can't. Love God, but you won't. Um, And he knows that. So then he said, outside of that, I call and justify, because to justify is to bring peace. Outside of that, if we really sat in front of a living God who we thought was the God of the Bible, it would not be peace. There would be no peace. We could not stand. We would be in front of him like Isaiah and say, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I'd be like, what's his name? Uh, Uz. That's a name for your son. Um, us who accidentally when he stumbled and he was carrying the ark and it touched him and he died just like that that's how holy it is but God says no now you have peace and it happens here in Kronos in the midst of calling which is then justification which leads to glory glorification glory is is life language that our life uh, which is both here and in the life to come is given. and that's what Paul is talking about in this whole passage. from 8:18 until 8:30. Um, uh, he starts and ends with glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. And then in 30 uh, and those whom he justified he also glorified. Um, so while you're looking down, look at 8:26 because I really want that's the walk out from today is somehow election which evokes fear and division uh and and it's been abused to make me think well i must not be a part of that because when i take an honest assessment of myself when i go to step four and have a fearless moral inventory (gasps) it ain't good i surely he must not be there for me because i there's no good in me there is no health Look at 826, Uh, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I'm not going to pick that apart too much, just want to say, hear the emotion that's present in our weakness, confusion, I do not even know how to pray. Um. And that even the Holy Spirit, just laden with groans, there's just this, this tone, this tenor of groan, of ache, of longing, of weakness, of confusion. All of that, Paul is right there. He's a hyper-realist. There's no pie in the sky. Just looking at all that and saying, I need to run to a gracious word. Isn't it strange what Paul thinks is the most gracious word he can begin to come up with is the idea of being chosen outside of time and then letting it be revealed in time. In that chain there in 29 and 30, again, where, where do we find our activity? From foreknowledge to predestination to calling to justification to glory. My hand's not on it. There's not a lever that I pulled. That is an act of grace. That is an act of mercy. That is an act of of comfort. And if you have in mind, like I do, a a trip of the switch and says, well, that can't be me because that doesn't feel like my life. We go back to 8.26. Weakness, groaning, longing, confusion. I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know how to go in my room, close the door. I don't know how to start. And Paul's like, that's okay. I don't either. I don't either. I'm the apostle of the... I don't either. When we're there... That's the right time. So then he continues. That should evoke all sorts of questions in our mind, right? What about my uncle? What about all those times that I'm not doing that? What about that time when I did X? I mean, if anybody in this church knew what I did, they wouldn't welcome me back. You should have all those questions, right? Those things start to come up. I hope I'm somewhere in your brain thinking those things. Well, so is Paul. What does he say in the next verse? What then shall we say to these things? He's right with us in our sort of inner monologue. You know, right there thinking, you got all these questions. Um, is anything going to separate me? Can, could, what about that thing? Or what about that time? Or what about this thing that I can't seem to get rid of? Uh, he has all that in mind. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Those whom he foreknew and chose and called and justified and glorified. Who can bring any charge if God's over all of that and my hand is not on any of it? Who can bring any charge? Where's the accusation? Who will stand? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, back to 425, delivered over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Um, Who is at the right hand of God, who himself is interceding for us. Not just the Spirit, but Christ himself sitting and praying for me. Since I don't know how to pray, Christ and the Spirit do and are. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, as it is written, uh, for your sake we are being killed all day long. And a high mark, justly so. Um, I am sure, certain, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, rulers, things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing and no thing, not that voice in your head, not that thing that you did, not the thing you will do, nothing in all creation and no thing will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You'd expect the letter to end there. And it doesn't. And Paul then takes it over. And he anticipates... Uh, uh, well, gosh, now i got a decision to make. Um, and then he goes over and he says, uh, And I am speaking the truth, all that you said, and this is where I am. Sort of his emotional state. Uh, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, for now, he has in mind his own people. Uh, if we're sitting there thinking, uh, well, if God does all that, that's great, but I still can't believe it. I really, I, I just can't believe it. Empirically, I read the news today, oh boy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I, I get up, I read the news, I know myself, and I can't believe it. Um, and then Voltaire. I'm going to call him as Exhibit A. Um, I know nothing about Voltaire except what Wikipedia really says, um, but I heard somebody else read a part of this poem in a similar context. Where is that? Um, come on, notes. Maybe I won't. Maybe I will. Um, there was an earthquake in Lisbon, uh, Lisbon, Portugal, in 1755. Heavily Roman Catholic country, um... Uh, expressing the love of God, it was all there, and millions died. I think that's not an exaggeration. At least tens, if not hundreds of thousands, maybe even, nah, probably not millions, many, many, many thousands of people died. Awful, one of the worst natural disasters ever. Some of y'all probably know more about it, Um, I don't know anything. And Voltaire, an early Enlightenment thinker, probably a deist, maybe even uh, an atheist, uh, had this. And Paul, I think, has this in mind, too. Where he goes from this this sublime revelation, this truth that he just spoke, nothing and no thing. And he says, he has in mind his people, ethnic Israel, the Jews, his own kinfolk. Um, Because he's like, you know, well, what about Abraham? You promised him. It doesn't seem like the promise is standing. Uh, Did he do something wrong? Um, Where's your love of him? What about this belovedness thing? What about this faith thing? What about uh, uh, Esau and Jacob? Um, uh, What about Rahab and all these others? What about those? Um, And Voltaire has something similar. A poem on the Lisbon disaster, written in 1755. So right there at the beginning of the Enlightenment. Or an inquiry into the axiom, all is well. I'm probably gonna have to leave this class off tonic, by the way, so I hope you come back um, because the word is gonna be an incomplete word, unless you come back, um, or at least listen to it. Or an inquiry into the axiom, all is well. Um, uh, O unlucky mortals, O deplorable earth, all humanity huddled in fear, the endless subject of useless pain. Come philosophers who cry, all is well, and contemplate the ruins of this world. Behold the debris and the ashes of the unfortunate, these women and children heaped in common ruin these scattered limbs under the broken marble. See the hundred thousand of whom the earth devours. Torn, bloody, and still breathing, they are entombed beneath roofs and die without relief from the horror of their suffering lives. As the dying voices call out, will you dare respond to this appalling spectacle of smoking ashes with, this is the necessary effect of the eternal laws. Kind of the watchmaker ideal. Freely chosen by God, seeing the mass of the victims, will you say, God is avenged. Their death is the price of their crimes. It's kind of like when Katrina happened. You Remember that? Some people said, well, that's just the Lord's repayment for the den of iniquity that New Orleans is. That's the same thing he was picking on. It's been around for millennia, that idea that God repays evil for evil. And that's what he's saying. God is avenged. Their death is the price of their crimes. I don't know what they did, but they must have done something to deserve it. Lisbon deserved the wrath of God. That's what Voltaire is trying to poke at the Christians who want to say otherwise. What crime, what fault had the young committed who lied bleeding at their mother's breast? Did fallen Lisbon indulge in more vices than London or Paris, which live in pleasure? Lisbon is no more, but they dance in Paris. That's an arresting poem. I mean, even 300 years later, I mean, it still, I think, connects and evokes a lot of questions. And Paul's right there ever the realist, at the right time, uh, God acts um, in the worst parts. Um, We just looked at all the groaning, the confusion, and the suffering from Romans 8.26, the glory that's in that part of Romans from 8.18 to 8.30, the chain of God's activity, his gracious activity, even hitting the sublime heights of nothing and no thing will ever be able to separate Us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord, and yet Paul has unceasing anguish in his heart. Where is he going? We're going to look at that next week um, with some other parts. But in case you can't come, this is where he's going. He's going to say from his thesis in 9 6, God's word has not failed. That's what 9 6 says. It is not as though God's word has failed. And he's going to come all the way to the end in Romans eleven. The last thing this is, is sort of a uh, systematic theology on election. But he's going to say that the way that God has worked in the past, he's going to look at the past in Israel, and the way that he is working in the present, that same pattern is going to be how God is going to work all the way through to the future, all the way to the point of glory at our death or when Christ comes back. And that's going to be Paul's answer to Voltaire, to... uh, 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 to what we read in the paper, and then to that part of each of us, that timid, the, the, what did Frank used to say, the timid, the part of our timid heart um, where our soul couldn't believe. Uh, he's going to say something to that, that God's word has not failed, uh, but that has his property is always to have mercy. He seems, and there's a lot to say about this, he seems to arrange things perfectly so that he gets to have a super abundance That's a word that comes out of there, of mercy and grace upon those people that need it the most. So that's where he's going to go in 9 through 11. We're going to look at that and then try to connect it back to, if we can, maybe we'll stop there next week at 7. So anyway, a thought or two, a little bit off tonic. I know this is the big piece to chew, but the gracious, sweet, comfortable word of God's foreknowledge, predestination, or election, calling, uh, justification, and glorification, given for doubting souls. Assurance is what that sometimes is called. Time for a question or two? I think we do. Yeah, maybe one. It's big stuff. Romans is not trifle. But I don't think we do either. I don't come here on Sunday morning just because it's fun. <laughs> let me pray Lord um, I pray that w- more than words um, would, uh, that it would be your word um, living and active as it does not fail and that it continues its work in the same way that it did in the past in the present that it would be working right now um, carrying us out this hour sustaining us moment by moment um, Lord give us an awareness of the right time when your activity is palpably present while we are yet sinning, while we are weak, ungodly, in your enemies, uh, that you would love us then fully and completely. Help us to take that as a word of comfort, of strength, of assurance, of, a, of certain and sure hope that nothing and no thing will dislodge that ground of our being. Lord, again, let it be